0: And welcome to the Weekly Review. It is Friday, January 22nd, uh, 2016. I've been out of town for uh, almost a month, a little bit more than a month, and it's felt good to be away. Uh, I have to say I was uh, in much better spirits not reading the news every week. I took a little bit of a Facebook fast as well. haven't been posting on Facebook, and that's also felt wonderful. And I've been appreciating talking to people in person uh, as opposed to, uh, putting things out there and waiting for a response or waiting for that little red, uh, picture to appear. Uh, it's been nice to actually talk to people about things. I've got some photos, uh, I was away, I was pet sitting, I was visiting friends, uh, thinking about things and thinking about, uh, heading off to other parts of the world and other parts of the country, which I think will be happening by the end of the year. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Missed out on some news Which I'll be covering some of Uh, There's a lot to to go back to And a lot to uh, Encompass A lot lot, lot that's happened So I'll do my best to Get to a few things I always like to start off with a little bit of a a rant As it were, and I have a bit of a sad political rant It's not even a It's a rant, just um, lost another friend to suicide Um, Found out last Thursday A friend of mine named Bryn Kelly Um, when I met in New York, um, back in 2008 and Brynn was a trans woman and really beloved by the community. She was an artist and a writer and a musician and an activist and, um, feels really, I'm still trying to put the words together and there's going to be a memorial for her in early February in, uh, New York. They put a fundraising page together and they've, you know, raised all the funds to, Cover the memorial, and then the excess funds are going to go to um, organizations that help specialize in funding housing for for trans folks. Um, it's just really uh, sad, I guess, more than more than anything else. And I feel frustrated with society in general. And I think societal ideation is a pretty big thing that a lot of folks struggle with, and in the in the trans community especially. And to lose someone who uh, was such a, a guiding light in a way and was so vocal and a really incredible person, it's a, it's a big shame. And I'm still figuring out how to, to deal with it and how to process it and what to say about it. And I thought at some point maybe to do a, a program just talking about memories of her. I wish I had known her better. We only hung out a few times. Um, and I think there's that thing with social media where there's this false sense. There's a con- certainly a connection that we have to one another, but maybe there's like a false, for me it feels false in a way when people post things. And then there's this stories that we make up based on what people post, this idea that we know how people are doing and we know what, what people are up to and how they are. And this assumption that if people are posting, you know, good things or positive things that somehow everything's okay. And maybe there's a not so much of a need to connect to someone um, when, when in the end, uh, it's, that's not necessarily the case. So a few folks, I mean, a lot of, we had a lot of mutual friends and a lot of people have been posting, you know, memories of her and stories and a few rants as well, just to kind of wake people up a little bit, because this is something that's been going on for a really long time. And, uh, a lot of communities, uh, deal with deal with suicide and it's tricky when it's, uh, a lot of times societal and systemic, um, the kind of experiences that a lot of folks have to have to face, even people who, um, you know, she was like on the, the trans, every year there's like a trans 100 list of folks who have accomplished X, Y, or Z, and or Z, and she was on there last year, and uh, giving this idea that there's something to uh, aspire to, and then even if you make it that far, that's still... Uh, not necessarily enough. You still have to deal with society's bullshit. Speaking of bullshit, I guess I'll be hop, hopping around a little bit and then I'll get into reading a few longer pieces. Uh, so I got my uh, Screen Actors Guild card earlier this year, which is uh, a privilege, and I feel grateful to have gotten that um, from some work that I've done. And so it's it's uh, Academy Awards season, so they send out screeners and uh, so DVDs of films that have been nominated so people can vote on the, the actors. And so I've been trying to catch up. And I've got some rants about some of the movies I've seen. Some have been really good. Some I think have been a, just utter trash, to be honest. Uh, I, I know it takes a lot of time and energy and and people power to make a movie. Uh, there's some things I've seen, though. Well, one in particular, uh, The Revenant, which I thought was just terrible. Uh, the one the one thing I liked about that was that it, it did cast... Uh, a lot of Native American actors in it. That was like, my friend and I both saw it. We had the same takeaway. It was just really violent. And uh, there's that idea behind the Bell test where you have to have like two women, you have to know their names, they have to talk about something other than a man. And you have to have at least two women in it. It's like the first part of it. And <laughs> The Revenant barely had that. It was just really, mm. so I'm going to disrecommend that movie. I recommend it. <laughs> saw some other good movies though. Anyway, so we get all these screeners in the mail and I've been trying to watch them and uh the I got one for the Danish girl, which is uh this film, and it talks about life of a trans woman who's played by a, a cis man, so that's kind of there's been a lot of uh f- furor, maybe that's the right word uh anger about that about casting a casting a cis person in a trans role when there are so many trans actors out there and you have that for instance, who was a trans actress actor I just like the term actor for everybody um and this idea that somehow there's like not that talent pool out there, and you have to like somehow cast cis folks in trans roles is kind of gross. Anyway, so I got one in the mail, and I was like, ugh, like doing my best to try to avoid this film. And you know, I've heard that Eddie Redmayne does a good job, and it's a it's a good it's well done or whatever. I've also read critiques of it. Uh, this idea it's like it's kind of inescapable. The transphobia is really inescapable. There's not one day I wake up and go through the world where I don't think about either being trans or just about the gender binary and the the boxes that people put each other into and the boxes that one kind of has to fall into. And even just with uh, misogyny as well, how that's so huge. And even though it's not necessarily directed at me anymore, it's still all around, it's everywhere. Oh, so thinking about, uh, that as well, I was also, um, Martin Luther King day on Monday and there was a, there's, there was like 96 hours of actions in, in the Bay area and there was a March that happened. Start off in downtown um, Oakland by Oscar Grant Plaza, and then went all the way to Emeryville. It was about a four-mile march, and uh, there were thousands of people there, and it was, it was great to see so many folks out and about, and uh, afterwards, as the march uh, winded down in, in Emeryville by Shell Mound, which is like a Ohlone, you know, burial land, which is now a mall, because America uh they had uh there were a few speakers folks who have lost family members to police violence and they were um just so striking in their in their words and it was so powerful and and painful to, to hear that and just imagining what that's like to be a a a constant to have to to deal with that to be afraid of law enforcement and then to have to to deal with losing loved ones and then to also feel like you're being silenced. So that was, um, that was intense. And they, um, on, they also had, uh, some folks, uh, blocked the, the Bay Bridge as well. And there are people who were, uh, online, uh, I'm sure other places were many people who were supportive. And then there are some folks who were not so supportive. And I mean, the idea is if you are that upset about, uh, traffic. Imagine how upset you'd be if you had members of your family taken from you by law enforcement. So if you put that anger elsewhere, you know, people wouldn't be protesting if there was nothing to protest about, but there is. So it's just something to think about. So I think that that's a pretty good, uh, wind up. Well, I'll talk a little bit more. I was, um, so I was pet sitting for some friends of mine from New York, um, whom I met, uh, yeah, I met them in New York and they, they moved out to the big Island and uh, they flew me out there, which was really generous and awesome of them. And so I spent the first, like, I saw them, and then the week and a half after that was me and two cats I used to sit for and a dog and had a lot of alone time, which was nice. And I drove for the first time in over 10 years, which is a big deal. And I also have been taking a break from pot for a little bit. I've been doing it here and there, but definitely taking a break, which has been nice as well. So kind of clearing my head a little bit. And then they came back and we spent some time together, which was wonderful. And they're just great people who really uh, talk about unconditional love. Just that's that's who they are. And that was great. And I took a Theta healing class, which was awesome. So now I'm a Theta healer. And that's neat. And uh, just saw a lot of great parts of the island. And it was just really beautiful. And it felt like it's the next best thing to to getting out of the country in a way. It, it felt like I was in a new new place. Even though I'd been to the the big island before, it felt like I was really just in a totally different, uh, headspace. I saw one police officer. I was there for 20 days. I saw one police officer there the entire time. And that was just someone who had pulled someone over on the side of the road. So I'd say, as opposed to, uh, the next place I went after that was, uh, LA to visit some friends and I had a really good time there. And there I saw quite a few police officers and, and heard quite a few police sirens. And, uh, so it was just a very different, you know, when you're surrounded by, by police all the time, it definitely, I'm one of those folks who's more skeptical of law enforcement and distrustful of law enforcement, um, especially given some of it's my own experience and given some, a, lot of, a lot of my friends' experiences, I'm more skeptical than anything of it. And how much more relaxed I felt to be in a place where they weren't around and there wasn't that noise pollution. And there's this kind of tension that I feel when I'm around uh, officers and I think a lot of other folks do as well and to be not be around that felt like a huge relief so that was definitely something to consider oh so opened up the show with with uh with with David Bowie and there have been quite a few things so I've got I was talking about this yesterday there's you know I, I know David Bowie influenced a lot of people and especially people in the in the queer whatever word you want to use to describe I know folks don't like the word queer but if we're going to argue about words, then I'll never say anything uh, within the whatever community, whatever you want to say, um, inspired a lot of people to feel like they could be themselves, etc. And there's also just a lot of pushback in terms of his, some of his behavior earlier on uh, with groupies who were like 13. And that's pretty common. Well, in fact, not just one, but like a lot of, you know, underage folks, which is kind of sketchy. And uh, a few other things that he's done in in his career. He's had a very prolific career, certainly. Uh, I think it's definitely important to acknowledge, though, that uh, some of his his stuff wasn't... uh, his personal behavior uh, shouldn't be overlooked, necessarily. And I also wanted to mention, and I'll be playing some later, uh, Klaus Nomi, who was a German opera singer who really influenced Bowie. And there's a great documentary called The Nomi Song, and it talks about Klaus's life. And he came to New York, and he was kind of described as an alien. And had an incredible, uh, incredible voice, and was just a very interesting dresser. And you can see him. I think the most popular uh, way one would have seen him was that he was a backup singer for David Bowie when he was on Saturday Night Live, like in the late '70s. And there's quite uh, they make a pretty strong case that Bowie took a lot of his ideas, kind of from Klaus Nomi, in terms of his appearance and all these other things and, and Klaus Nomi is not very well known and he, he died of AIDS in 1983 so here's someone who didn't get the kind of recognition that he definitely deserved and it's interesting I think it's also just important to recognize that you know of course as artists we are all influenced by one another and either it's steal or take or whatever you want to do whatever you want to call it ideas from one another and present it as our own or uh, use it to shape our own Performances, and uh, so I'll be playing a lot of Klaus Nomi later. And I want to thank my friend Austin for introducing me to him because I hadn't heard of him at all. And it's it's like a lot of these things where David was so David Bowie was so widely known and widely recognized, and people say, Were well, you really upset." And I actually heard about it. I was at an I O Theater in in L A. and I was in a group of people, so it felt. It was like the kind of the best case scenario in a way to hear about things. Same similar with with Robin Williams. I heard about him actually right out outside of here at Mutiny Radio. Uh, a friend, a fellow DJ told me about it, and I kind of prefer to be told about these things. Uh, however, like, you know, I understand celebrity is a whole other issue in itself because they're just, they're, they're people, and there's a whole lot of other people who are dying every day that's not necessarily being discussed. Although I try to discuss it on the show. Um, I like it when a person tells me it's it's there's that kind of connection. I'd rather hear about it from a person um, than read it online and have to experience it either on my own or you know just not know what to do exactly with whatever feelings are coming up. So I was with a whole group of people and people were really upset about it and I always thought, you know, I liked David Bowie. I had a partner once who was like really, really into him and I was like, okay. And my feeling about it was that yes, he influenced a lot of people. I was a big Lou Reed fan and he worked with Lou Reed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, however, he was always really, you know, recognized for, for his work. So there's not um I don't feel like I had as much sadness around it maybe as um some other folks uh do or did. And uh the night that I heard I was I decided I was staying with a friend in West Hollywood, so it was like walking back, which is it's a it was like a long maybe it's like a somewhere between like a mile and two mile walk. It was like late, like one or two in the morning, which I like to do just long walks whenever. And I ended up walking on Hollywood Boulevard and I saw a group of people and I ended up just happened to walk by his, his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So it was one of those, it was interesting I made that decision, deciding to walk instead of getting a ride or finding other means Um, and so a lot of folks had gathered and people put candles around it and flowers. And by the time I had gone, you know, people came, people, these, these two folks drove from like Riverside and they, um, threw like glitter on his star. And there was a guy who was, uh, playing a person I'm going to try to talk about without gender we'll see how far that goes, uh, was playing, he had brought like a little iPod speaker and was just playing his music and was sitting on the sidewalk. And a lot of folks had gathered around and that was really, lovely. And I stayed for a while. And at one point there was this guy in a suit, like a really fancy suit who like walking down the street, like in a hurry. And um, I had my own bias, my my own bias. I was like, oh, this guy is not going to stop. He's just going to like walk right by. He might not even notice that people are gathered here at all. And not only did he stop, but then he was like talking to people and he just stayed for a while. And I was like, that certainly shows me with my own preconceived notions or maybe, I don't know, San Francisco has kind of hardened me in a way where uh, it feels like there's not as much Uh, interaction with with folks you know walking by on the street certainly um so it was nice to see folks gather and uh in that in that way so yeah that that was the that was the past month or so in a nutshell that that leaves out quite a bit so we'll be getting to some more stories and there's some exciting stories coming out here of san francisco at 1 30 p.m today there's going to be some corruption charges that are going to be announced so thankfully we'll still be on the on the air at that time so we'll be checking in and seeing who's uh who's in trouble let's put it that way who in a position of authority is in trouble and i I try not to like divide people between good and bad although because we're all, all complex beings certainly uh I do like it when folks in positions of authority who have, did not have who have acted upon hurting people and whatever, if others signing legislation or whatever, when they are held accountable. And I don't necessarily believe in the justice system because it's not necessarily just. I, I do believe though that uh, any way to stop folks from causing more harm is a good thing. So at one thirty p.m., we'll we'll hear about that. So that should be that should be fascinating. Oh, so I'm going to get started. I'm going to play some more music before we get started with the stories. And uh so as promised I'll play some Claus Nomi. So he has an album called called uh called Claus Nomi and I think one of the best known songs is uh, uh Lightning Strikes, which you might be familiar with uh, and his version's pretty pretty awesome. <laughs>
1: old enough to learn the makings of a man. Listen to me baby, it's time to settle down. Am I asking too much for you to stick around? Every boy wants a girl he can trust to the very end. Baby, that's you. Won't you stay? But till then when I see lips begging to be kissed I can't stop taken over my one-track mind believe it or not in my heart all the time all the girls are saying that you'll end up a fool
0: Klaus me with Lightning Strikes again, and we'll hear more from him later on in the show. So first up, I'm going to read a story from The Intercept. Intercept is a good place to find independent news coverage, and I dig a lot of their stories. So this is an article written by uh, zaid Jelani, and the title is Martin Luther King Jr. Celebrations Overlook His Critiques of Capitalism and Militarism. Uh, America's celebrations of Martin Luther King Jr. typically focus on his civil rights activism, the nonviolent actions that led to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The last few years of King's life, by contrast, are generally overlooked. When he was assassinated in 1968, King was in the midst of waging a radical campaign against economic inequality and poverty while protesting vigorously against the Vietnam War. This was a campaign whose intellectual roots were found in a younger king, who grew uneasy with the excesses of capitalism around him, even as he focused on civil rights issues in the summer of 1952. He wrote a letter detailing these concerns to Coretta Scott, whom he began dating earlier in the spring. In that letter, he concluded that capitalism has outlived its usefulness. And he writes... I imagine you already know that I am much more socialistic in my economic theory than capitalistic, and yet I'm not so opposed to capitalism that I have failed to see its relative merits. It started out with a noble and high motive, uh, viz to block the trade monopolies of nobles, but like most human systems, it falls victim to the very thing it was revolting against. So today, capitalism has outlived its usefulness, it has brought about a system that takes necessities from the masses to give luxuries to uh, luxuries to the classes. Government officials tracked his growing radicalism and feared it. King is so hot these days that it looks like Marx coming to the White House complained President John F Kennedy in nineteen sixty three as King was ramping up his nonviolence campaign in the South. He authored his brother attorney he authorized his brother attorney. General Bobby Kennedy to wiretap King and his associates. In 1966, King told staff at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference that there must be a better distribution of wealth, and maybe America must move toward a democratic socialism. Call it what you may call it. Uh, call, it call it what you may. Call it democracy, or call it democratic socialization Socialism but there must be a better distribution of wealth within this country for all of God's children. King was also increasingly disturbed by the war in Vietnam and he would raise the issue privately with President Lyndon Johnson in their White House calls and meetings. In April 1967, King gave a speech at Riverside Church in New York City where he called the U.S. government the greatest purveyor of violence in the world and denounced napalm bombings, and the propping up of a puppet government in South Vietnam. The establishment responded bitterly to King's speech. The New York Times editorial board blasted King for linking the war in Vietnam to the struggles of civil rights and poverty uh, alleviation in the United States, saying it was too uh, facile a connection and that he was doing a disservice to both causes. It concluded that there are no simple answers to the war in Vietnam or to racial injustice in this country. The Washington Post editorial board said King had diminished his usefulness to the, his cause, his country, and his people. Uh, in all 168 newspapers, uh, in all 168 newspapers denounced him. The next day, President Johnson immediately terminated his relationship with King. What is, oh, gosh, I can't, oh, god damn, I can't, fucking LBJ, I'm not even gonna read his quote, I'm not gonna read it, oh, Jesus, oh, fucking asshole, oh, all right, then LBJ says, uh, we gave him the Civil Rights Act of 1964, we gave him the Voting Rights Act of 1965, <clears throat> we gave him the War on Poverty, what more does he want? Um, and this is me censoring what he said, because I can't even, f- I'm not even going to repeat what he said. Asshole. Anyway, uh, henceforth, King would be on would be on the outside in uh, a picket line shouting peace chants through the wrought iron gates, noted historian Harvard uh, uh, Sitkoff. A Harris poll con- conducted after King's Vietnam speech found that only 25% of even African Americans supported him in his anti-war turn only nine percent of the public at large agreed with his objections to the war <coughs> hmm. despite the intense backlash from elites and the public king continued to soldier on in 1967 he gave christmas eve a sermon to his congregation at ebenezer baptist church in atlanta in which he assailed not just african American, not just american capitalism but the system of global markets that was failing to provide for the world's poor. Uh, I started thinking about the fact that right here in our country, we spend millions of dollars every day um, to store surplus food, he preached. And I said to myself, I know where we can store that food free of charge in the wrinkled stomachs of the millions of God's children in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and even in our own nation who go to bed hungry at night. During his civil rights campaign, King had also been organizing workers, for example. He campaigned against the Oklahoma right to work referendum and warned that the increased economic uh, Competition between whites and blacks would undermine civil rights. <coughs> calling instead for um, calling instead for a grand alliance between working class whites and blacks. With the Poor People's Campaign launched in 1968. King escalated this campaign aimed at providing good jobs, housing, and a decent standard of living to all Americans. Decades before, American protesters took to the streets of New York City and other locales to occupy space and um, to protest inequality. King protested a massive, uh, proposed a massive tent encampment in Washington, D.C. to demand action on poverty. Uh, Here's an Associated Press article about the campaign and the link Uh, in the page they provide a link to the article, Uh, he never saw it come to fruition. He was assassinated that year while organizing striking Memphis sanitation workers. Southern Christian Leadership Conference President uh, Ralph Abernathy and Coretta Scott King followed through with the plan setting up tents and shacks on the mall in Washington, D.C., deemed Resurrection City, This encampment lasted a month before the Department of Interior forced it to close down. King's approval of ratings are much higher decades after his death than they were during his life. By 1987, 76% of Americans held a favorable view of the activist leader, but many are taught a simplified version of his life, focusing on only one of the three dimensions that defined him. During the Vietnam speech, that turned the establishment against him, King rallied against the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism. <sighs> so that just says it right there and how people are kind of glorified a bit. Um, not even, not necessarily even just just glorified, but while people are actively challenging the system, the system doesn't want to listen. People in power don't want to listen. And I apologize for having to censor myself. I try not to censor myself. I just can't read any more hateful uh, wordage. I just can't do it. Um, coming from LBJ, who was the president. uh and thinking now about how activists are sometimes, well, often challenged and uh, even arrested and threatened um, for doing what is the best for, you know, when they're actually standing up for what's th- would be the best for everybody. And I think things haven't really changed too much. However, you know, once once folks die, then of course people can say, oh, they were doing this, but kind of really just like watering down what the folks were standing up for, especially if it challenges people in powers, their own beliefs. Speaking of people in power and their own beliefs, uh, I'm going to hop to the next story and my voice is not, uh, not, I haven't been doing this for a while, so my voice is a little bit scratchy, so I apologize. And by next week, maybe it'll be a little bit better. But, uh, there's some folks out there who are really into, oh, uh, really into Hillary Clinton and I'm all for, if we have to have leaders, I'm all for female leaders. However, not an oligarchy, not for people who are in bed with the big banks and war profiteers. I just can't, uh, they just, nope, sorry, uh. It's, it's not enough. So I'm going to read this story, also from The Intercept, about, uh, and also she's been attacking Bernie Sanders, and it's like, um, I, I get that it's a political, that it's a, it doesn't have to be a competition, though. And if it's like, if we could all kind of work together, you know, if they could all work together instead of trying to, like, if you really cared about the American people, you would try to work with your, your, your competitors or your colleagues and try to make things better and find what you can agree on instead of, uh, talking shit about people, uh, who, uh, and Bernie Sanders has a lot of, uh, he's, uh, for some of my friends, he's not radical enough. (laughs) And, uh, a lot of folks really dig what he has to say and, uh, telling the truth and challenging the big banks, for instance, there's other issues, of course, it's again, going back to the whole idea of, you know, David Bowie and being complex and doing a lot of good work. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a fabulous person all the time, or that uh, one agrees with you with all of your statements and actions. So uh, I'm going to read this. This is also from the interceptedly Written by Lee Fang. Uh, Half the foreign policy experts signing Clinton's anti-Sanders letter have ties to military contractors. So this is what a lot of us have been saying for for, uh, a while. Uh, That... We we don't want to give them any more power, any of the military contractors, any more power. Uh, Hillary Hillary Clinton's campaign released a letter this week in which uh, 10 foreign policy experts criticized her opponent Bernie Sanders' call for closer engagement with Iran and said Sanders had not thought through these crucial national security issues that can have profound consequences for our security. The missive from the Clinton campaign was covered widely in the press, but what wasn't disclosed in the coverage is that fully half of the former State Department officials and ambassadors who signed the letter and who are now backing Clinton are now enmeshed in the military contracting establishment, which has benefited tremendously from escalating violence around the world, particularly in the Middle East. Here are some of the letter signatories, current employment positions that were not disclosed in this reporting of the letter. Former Assistant Defense Secretary uh, Derek Cholet, Former Pentagon and CIA Chief of Staff Jeremy Bash, Jeremy Bash, okay, and former Deputy National Security Advisor Julianne Smith are now employed by the consulting firm Beacon Global Strategies, a firm we profiled last year. Beacon Global Strategies staff advises both Clinton and Republican candidate for president, including. Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, the firm makes money b- by providing advice to clientele that is primarily military contractors. Beacon Global Strategies, however, has refused to disclose the identity of its clients. Former Undersecretary of State Nicholas Burns is a senior counselor at the Cohn Group, a consulting firm founded by former Defense Secretary William Cohn. The firm assists aerospace and defense firms on policy, business development, and transactions, including deals in the U.S., Turkey, Israel, and the Middle East. Former Undersecretary of Defense Jim Miller is an advisory board member to Endgame Systems, a startup that has been called the, block, the Blackwater of Hacking. Miller is also on the board of BEI Precision Systems and Space, a military contractor. So it's good to know who's who's working with whom. Uh, so Pam just came in with uh, there's a calendar of action and solidarity with trans prisoners. Very cool. And this is Jan for January twenty second. Uh, no walls, but Stonewall. Queers bash back. Non servium. Uh, solidarity forever. Uh, they won't stop. They won't stop hurting us until we make them. Uh, Queers against prison. That's totally awesome. All right. And this is a benefit show for TG. Uh, TGIJF, um, bands include, um, uh, uh, SBSM, Butana, and Sorry Not Sorry, and you go to, uh, TransPrisoners.net, and this is at El Rio, we all know El Rio, it's a 31.50, uh, mission, and this is Friday, this is today, uh, ooh, 6pm, okay, cool, and it's 21 and over, it's $5.00. 3156 missions where el rio's at and go to transprisoners.net well i will be there awesome thank you pam um so we're gonna play another song uh from klaus nomi and then we'll be back with some more stories here and i think folks will recognize uh this one as well Not just. Oh, that was Klaus told Me With, You Don't Own Me. We'll be hearing more, a few more songs uh, from Klaus by the end of the show. Uh, so if you're feeling good because that song, that song makes me feel good, here's a story to make you feel bad. Not necessarily make you feel bad. Uh, hopefully you'll be paying, you'll been paying attention on uh, the news. And um, this, now it's getting more and more traction. And this story comes out, this is like from December, but now there's been more, at least, uh, there have been more stories published about this, more of an outcry. This is from US Uncut. And this article was written by uh, Lacey McLaughlin and uh, children in Flint, Michigan have so much lead in their blood state of emergency just to clear. And this came out December 15th. So this was a while ago. This is a month ago. Uh, Okay. Earlier this fall, uh, a routine checkup reviewed a one-year-old girl in Flint, Michigan had elevated levels of lead in her bloodstream. The child who was given the pseudonym, Michaela, in a recent study by the Hurley Medical Center in Flint, is one of the hundreds of children who have tested positive for lead poisoning in the city. Flint Mayor Karen Weaver declared a state of emergency Monday evening over the public health crisis. Lead poisoning disproportionately impacts low-income children like Michaela. Michaela lives with her single mother and two other s- older siblings in, on the west side of town. Every day, the child's mother mixes powdered milk from the federal government's nutritional assistance program with warm tap water. It can be years before lead poisoning shows the extent of its damage, but consequences can result in learning disabilities, behavioral issues, as well as damaged organs and compromised immune systems. The study estimates three, three uh, 3.19 to 4.2 billion in Michigan's economic losses will result from lead exposure. The number of infants and children with above-average levels of lead in their system nearly doubled since the city stopped using the Detroit water system and moved to the Flint River in 2014, according to the study. Last month, parents of children who may have been affected permanently filed a class-action lawsuit against the federal government. Mayor Weaver has made repeated pleas to state and federal officials over the last several months to voice concerns about the high content of lead in the city's drinking water. During a press conference in September, Weaver said that there had been a posture of denial that city officials had adopted regarding the contamination. It's unfathomable. unfathomable that highly trained, well-paid city administrators who are sworn in to uphold public trust respond to what is clearly a well-documented public health threat in such a callous, casual manner, she said. Weaver is asking the county to call a special meeting today to take action and is asking for support from the federal government. And moving along from there, there's another story um, done with that as well from uh, NPR. And this is a more recent take on it. And this is from uh, January 22nd. And it's written by uh, Merrick Kennedy. Uh, it's again from NPR. Flint Mayor says, who a lot of folks are asking to resign, politics and profit perpetuated lead tainted water crisis. Uh, and that was, I'm um, no, sorry, not the Flint Mayor, the governor of Michigan, uh, Snyder, Rich Snyder. A lot of people are calling for Rich Snyder to resign. Okay, uh, how high lead levels in Flint, Michigan's water has led President Obama to declare a state of emergency as criticism mounts that the problem has not been handled promptly. The people weren't put first. The health of the people was not put before profit and money, Flint Mayor Karen Weaver says in an interview with Ari Shapiro on All Things Considered. The problem started when Flint switched its water source to the Flint River in April 2014. The new supply was harder water, which corroded the city's pipes and leached lead into the tap water. Residents quickly started complaining about the water. General Motors stopped using it in uh, October 2014 because it was corroding machinery. Oh, okay. Even though the city switched back to its original supply in October 2015, the damaged pipes continue to contaminate the water. Weaver says Flint residents don't know when the city's water will be safe to drink again, even though they're still paying for it. The lead levels and complaints about how the problem is being handled have led to the resignation Thursday of Susan Hedman, the regional director of the Environmental Protection Agency. Also Thursday the head of the EPA issued an emergency order directing state and city officials to take actions to protect public health. President Obama's declaration of a state of emergency last week freed up 5 million dollars in federal aid for the city. Weaver was not in office when this started. She was elected in November after vowing in address to the uh, after vowing to address the city's water problems and as Michigan Radio's Lindsay Smith reports, one of the first things she did was to declare an emergency in the city. Flint residents have consistently voiced frustration over the time it has taken for officials to acknowledge this crisis and respond to it. Flint is a majorly, is a majority black city, and 40% of people live below the poverty line. Weaver tells Ari that she thinks race and poverty had a lot to do with the response. Weaver met the president and some of his senior advisors earlier this week to discuss Flint's crisis. He has pledged to do everything that he can at, this, uh, at the federal level and has, in fact, sent people to Flint to get started on this, past the FEMA assistance that has already been in place. One of the things he stressed is that he was going to be meeting with the governor the very next day because the state has such a big role to play in this, and we know the state has money. They have a rainy day fund, a surplus between $500 and $600 million, and Flint needs to be the priority for receiving those funds. Uh, on And then on 274 pages of emails about Flint released by Michigan Governor Rick Snyder, Snyder made the emails public on Wednesday following widespread criticism. He said he was releasing them so that you have answers to your questions about what we've done and what we're doing to make this right for the families of Flint. Here's what Weaver had to say. I haven't seen what's in those emails, but I will tell you this. It's something that he needed to do because one of the issues we've been dealing with is broken trust. And we've been kept in the dark regarding some information regarding our water. We've been given misinformation about the water and the only way the governor can, if he can rebuild trust is to start doing that. So it's, st- it's a start for him, I suppose. Uh, and, uh, on calls for Snyder to resign, you know what? I'm glad those high profile figures are out there and they're putting the pressure on the governor and holding him accountable for some things. What I've said is we have an investigation going on and I can't wait uh, to hear the results of that investigation, because everybody should be held accountable. Uh, everybody that should be held accountable needs to be held accountable. We want to know uh, who knew, um, who knew what, and when they knew it. and that 's from the governor, all the way down to it, if it includes local officials. We want everyone to be held accountable, and if it means they have to be removed, so be it. And then getting down to Flint's future, Uh, you know, it's a terrible thing. Uh, No community should have to go through what Flint has gone through. But I'm also looking at the possibilities of what can come out of this. And I've always believed in Flint. I'm excited about the potential. And you know, we've gotta get this fixed. (coughs) But there's a lot to look forward to in the city of Flint. And you're going to have me back because I'm going to be telling the second part of this story and definitely look forward to that. So, uh, yeah, it seems like maybe, I don't want to say too little too late, but something that should have been happening a long time ago, and you can tell with the mayor who was sworn in after this was already happening, I'm glad at least some change is happening to to get it better. All right, my voice is going a bit. I'm going to play another song, and then we'll be back. Um, I'm going to do some... uh, read a few things that some friends wrote about my friend Bryn who passed and then uh, uh, at 1:30 we'll be getting some news about who's indicted in San Francisco. so that'll be some perhaps, possibly uplifting news, I guess depending on who you are. So uh, here we go. one more class, Nomi song. Okay. There we go. Um, oh, So I forgot, I didn't forget how, how tough this show was at times, but I guess I can definitely make it happier or decide, you know what? I can, and I will. I'll change it right now. I'll do a more uplifting story before we get to some more depressing things. So this is some good news coming out of Seattle. A lot of good things are coming out of Seattle, and this is a cool tiny house village opens with electricity to care for Seattle homeless, and this was on the Good good News Network. Uh, I only found this because a friend posted this, and uh, it'd be cool if we can do something similar here in the Bay Area, because we certainly have, there's a lot of homeless folks here, and especially with the Super Bowl coming, there's going to be a big protest uh, the first Wednesday of the month uh, around 5 p.m., location to be determined. Uh, The mayor wanted to get rid of homeless folks in preparation for the Super Bowl, which has not been a good deal for the city because we're not making any money. The people we're making the money off are like the big investors and it's going to kind of disrupt downtown and we don't even have a football team. They play play in Santa Clara. So that's, that's a very, that's my very terse uh, rant on the Super Bowl, which is coming up and part of me doesn't want to be here at all in the city while that's happening. There's going to be protest though, so that's, that's good to know. However, some positive news, some good things that are happening in Seattle. Uh, a little village of tiny houses for the homeless is taking shape on a plot of land owned by a Lutheran church in Seattle, Washington. Volunteers gathered over the weekend to build the 14 homes. Each one is insulated and has electricity and oil heat. More importantly, a central building houses uh, restrooms and running water with showers, and being with showers being insulated soon. Uh, Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd put up the land for the village, the first of its kind in Seattle. Each house cost about twenty two hundred dollars to build, and residents will pay ninety dollars a month for utilities. They will serve as a model for more tiny house villages. And uh, as an alternative to uh, Nicholsville, an organized homeless camp in the city, the houses will provide temporary housing until occupants can be housed in permanent homes. The difference is you have electricity and a lock on the door, church member Steve Tucker told KIRO News. The village's first residents start moving in later this week. And they have a video here, and we have posted it on the, the Facebook weekly review page, so that's a positive story. Now, uh, it's again, uh, I'm just gonna kind of get, get through this. So well, this is, uh, uh, an acquaintance or a friend of a friend, uh, Emmett Rugburn posted this on, on Facebook, uh, after our, fr- our friend Bryn passed. And this is kind of a, a rant, which I feel was, I agree with it all. And the fact that, that they were able to kind of word it this way, uh, Hey, I'm gonna going to to share it. It's been going around uh, Facebook feed. So here we go. Uh, hey, straight people, uh, please read this. <laughs> I know I don't regularly address posts uh, specifically to you on here, but I'm tired and need your help. I'm wondering what you are doing every single day to help keep trans and queer people alive. Brooklyn Queers lost a great light, a trans femme, this week to suicide. She was an amazing performer, writer, and general dynamic. She is not the first person we have lost this year, and I'm hoping she will be the last, but I'm doubtful. The thing is, queers are used to mourning like this. It happens every year, multiple times a year, that we lose someone dear. Overwhelmingly, most of the losses are people who, have t- who, have, who take their own lives. And our reactions to their broken hearts are this. We say, I love you, you're important to me, please stay, to the ones who are still alive we hold on to each other as best we can and we think if we can just wrap our arms a little more tightly that we can slow the machine and that our dearest <coughs> and that our dearest loves will stick around and it probably helps a little bit but then we lose another person and we start the cycle again truthfully it is not enough we can't do this alone the world needs to be different. Being trans, particularly trans feminine, isn't easy. Being queer isn't easy. The hate and violence and criticism and venom and passive aggressive comments and weird representation in the media and misogyny and misgendering and binary bathrooms and sometimes ill-fitting clothing and horrible healthcare options and always wondering if you're being treated a particular way because you're trans, it all adds up. It may not be the only reason... My queer siblings are leaving this world, but I'm guessing it plays a pretty large role. So how are you helping to keep us alive? Do you know what we're up against? Do you know when a joke is transphobic and do you interrupt it? Do you call people out when they criticize or ridicule the way a trans person looks? Do you give your time or money, if you have it, to organizations that advocate for trans and queer folks? Do you know how to act as an ally to trans people? Do you support trans health do you boycott spaces that exclude trans women? Do you know how to gracefully ask someone their pronouns? And do you do it regularly? Do you tell your other straight friends that they need to be better too? Because you need to. Do some research. Ask some people who aren't trans. But know a few things to help you learn. Try harder. This isn't a singular need, of course. White people, we need to help keep black and brown people alive. People with class privilege, we need to help keep poor folks alive. Able-bodied people, we need to keep disabled people alive. Masculine folks, we need to keep femmes alive. Men, you need to keep women alive. It's part of the setup of capitalism and patriarchy. This feeling that, it only, that if it only involves us, uh, this feeling, that it only involves us if it's about us, and it contributes to these deaths in real ways. If you are reading this, it means you know me, which means you know at least one trans person. I am a trans person, whether you choose to perceive me that way or not. I'm tired of seeing beautiful people leave. I'm tired of this world being too hard, too fucked up for the amazing trans and queer people I am surrounded by. I'm tired of the exhausted grieving and seeing dear trans and queer friends hold themselves accountable in some ways for these losses, even though they are held hostage by the very same broken system that I'm talking about. Please, we need everyone to be accountable, including you. it's actually a matter of life and death. Uh, welcome back. There's there's more to say. I'm going to take a bit of a break. Uh, we'll be talking more about Bryn, I think, in the coming episodes. Uh, moving along, uh, there's a a site called nine seven two dot and uh, there's an article that was posted recently. This is from January twenty first, um, by Ido Conrad, and says, uh, these are the anti-occupation activists jailed under gag order. Israeli authorities arrest prominent activists Ezra Navi, Guy Boutavia, and Nasir Navaja. At least one of them was barred from meeting with his attorney for days. In court, one activist says his interrogators used materials taken directly from a right-wing organization. Uh, the three anti-occupation activists in Israeli custody... Uh, whose identities were under gag order until Thursday are Ezra Navi, Guy Butavia, and Nasir Nawaja. The three were arrested over the past week and a half in the wake of a sting operation by Israeli Mm -hmm. right-wing group Ad Khan, which accused them of collaborating with the Palestinian Security Services against a Palestinian man who was allegedly trying to sell west bank land to israeli settlers the sting aired on israel israel's primetime investigative show livda all three cases were put under a sweeping gag order which prevented plus 272 and the entire israeli media from reporting their identities or any details of the investigation ad Khan, loosely translated to no more arms its members arms its members with hidden cameras in order to capture high-profile leftists doing or saying incriminating things. This way, ADCON's founders claim it can be proven once and for all that Israeli human rights groups actually care very little about human rights. Navi, a, an Israeli Jew of Iraqi descent and an activist with anti-occupation direct action group Taayush, was caught on camera telling an undercover right-wing activist that he often receives calls from Palestinian landbrokers who wish to sell property in the West Bank to Israelis, but who cannot do so on the open market, because doing so is a criminal offense under Palestinian law. Navi was then secretly filmed pretending to uh, act as a middleman, on this on the video, he then explains that he will report the Palestinian land broker to the Palestinian Preventative Security Force, which he says will torture and kill both the seller and middleman. Uh, Livda showed Navi meeting with the middleman to discuss the details of the deal. Navi is later shown discussing, along with Najav, Najava, a field worker from Israeli human rights organization... Uh, B'Tselem, how to report the land broker to Palestinian security forces. Navi was arrested at Ben-Gurion Airport three days after the program aired, although there were no legal barrier for him from leaving the country prior to his arrest. His attorney said he was trying to leave the country because right-wing activists had threatened and even attacked him at his home following the television report. Uh, he has been in custody since the arrest and was prevented from meeting with his attorney for nearly four days. Navi was questioned on suspicion of accessory to manslaughter, conspiracy, uh, in attempted murder, making contact with a foreign agent, transporting an individual in Israel without a permit and drug use. The Jerusalem, the Jerusalem district district court on Thursday agreed to the police's request to extend Navi's remand for, by three days. He is scheduled to be released on Sunday. Batavia and Navaja were arrested Tuesday night. Batavia was held for questioning and ordered released after two days, and he was being led as he was being led into court on Thursday. He suggested that the entire case was built from the work of right wing organization Ad the organ The interrogators are sitting in front of me with Ad Con forms, uh, Batavia said. In Navajia's case, on the other hand, the court declared that it had no jurisdiction, a ruling that had an appeals court held up. That had an appeals court held up. On Thursday evening, the police handed him over to the army for military trial. Unlike Israeli citizens, Palestinians in the West Bank fall under the jurisdiction of Israel's military courts. Uh, Nasir's attorney... Uh, Gabby Lasky told Plus 272 there is a general attack on human rights activists in order to stop the legitimacy of speaking out against occupation, adding that she hopes that Israeli authorities are not able to stop the legal activities of human rights activists through the courts. Huh. All right. Um, we'll go here with one more story and then take a break and then hopefully we'll be back with the uh, infamous news on uh Infamous, infamous. The the folks in San Francisco who have been uh who uh this really uh uh this is really it's been a heavy episode. Um uh the folks in San Francisco who uh, are being investigated. So this is a a post that a friend of mine shared in New York and I posted it here on the the comedy network page here in in uh in the Bay Area. And as a in comedy in, in any scene there's a lot of there's there can be harassment. I have experienced some um, before I transitioned after I transitioned, it doesn't matter. Uh folks get harassed, it sucks. So here's something um and I'll, there's a link on the Bay Area Comedians Network page. Uh, gross things that happened to me as a woman in comedy, anonymous. Uh, Fill out the anonymous form about your experience with sexism, assault, or harassment. You're not alone. The collective experiences will remain anonymous and will be posted in a post-secret format with photos and quotes of text from selected experiences to illustrate the everyday microaggressions, assault, crimes, and traumas we experience as a community. You will not be named, and the per... perpetrator will not be mentioned or named in any posts if you have been keeping this experience private and are looking for help we encourage you to contact the proper authorities and or we can also put you in touch with resources uh email info at womenincomedy.org and the and it's just a, it's a very brief questionnaire it asks where this happened um and who um who how are you acquainted with this person and then there's, um, what did they perpetrate or harass or say or do to you? And then also quotes or gross things that they said, uh, to you via text, email, or in person that you wanted to share. And then they ask if you've told anyone about it and if that person helped you or not, and then anything else you wanted to share and you can put in your city and your age. So, um, I've known quite a few folks in, co- even just, uh, both in New York, here in San Francisco, uh, there's there's definitely harassment. I've heard about a lot of harassment as well. So I'm glad that this is, uh, uh, this form is as out there to collect more information, and so folks feel less alone. And this can start being, can start, uh, uh, start speaking up about it. So I did want to talk a little bit about Brandon. some folks wrote some pieces on on her as well, and still it still feels really relatively new and I'm glad there was that other piece t- to read which kind of encapsulates how a lot of us feel where this is like a, a common thing. I lost a good friend of mine named Sonny uh last year um to suicide and that was really heartbreaking and I knew Sonny a little bit better than I knew Bryn and, and it was just really hard. And uh when I first met Bryn I didn't I didn't know she was trans and it was it was two thousand eight and I was just beginning my I guess decide, I was beginning that it's it's difficult to find words to talk about transition because it's difficult for a lot of people and it's difficult to describe certainly and one's perspectives change over time certainly but i remember talking to her and i was going through a really tough time right at the beginning and uh she was there and she just listened and i'm so so grateful for that and uh, again there's just i find i find myself not having the words so i'm grateful that a lot of folks have shared. Um, that a lot of people have shared um their their stories and memories of her, and I'm still grieving in a way and it's interesting to I've been you know I've been telling people in person um but I haven't posted much online aside from sharing a few people's things, and part of that has to do with taking a break from Facebook and also just finding other ways to grieve and just to be in this world that are not necessarily through social media because at sometimes it can be helpful, and other times I'd rather if I haven't posted for a while, I'd rather save up that information and that life experience and use that in person and talk to someone about it in person, then to put it out there. And then also just with the surveillance and all that, uh, the government doesn't need to know what's going on in my life. My friends do, but I don't need to necessarily share that online. So I, I you know, welcome folks to continue to talk about things in daily life. So got, there's, um, also this awesome thing that's going to be happening here. <laughs> talk about not having a segue at all. But um, there was a show at Mutiny Radio. There was a benefit for Syrian refugees um, back in in the fall. That was great. And I met someone who was part of that named uh, Zarina Zabrinski. Z- uh, Zarina, Zabrins- Zarina Zabrisky. And um, Zarina is going to be hosting a conversation with Pussy Riot um, here in San Francisco on February 10th at the Warfield. And there's a postcard here. It's in conversation at Pussy right and conversation. That's all it says. It's at the Warfield. It's February 10th. We'll be talking more about that. Oh, maybe we'll have her on the show and she can talk about that. Um, uh, as that approaches, that'll be great. Um, so looking forward to going to that event and hearing about that and perhaps that will inspire some folks here in the Bay and in the States to do some more political activism as well. Cause I think pussy rides there, they're pretty awesome at how outspoken and brave. They've been with their actions. So, uh, it's about 1.22 right now, I'm going to do a little bit of an extended music break and the instrumental piece we heard before was from a yeah, I was just introduced to called, L Ten Seven instrumental. It's great. And I, sometimes I do try to have like political songs here on the show and sometimes it's great just to have instrumental songs, certainly. Um, so I'm gonna play some more from them and, um, hopefully by the time we're back, um, we'll have that great information about who's in trouble. Uh, some schadenfreude Certainly coming up for me uh, But then also uh, For those of us who love the city And there's a lot of us who do uh, eh, Folks who can be You know It's people being held accountable We like that We like that here So here's some more from L107 And we'll be back in uh, in a little bit Norman, back here at the Weekly Review. Still waiting on news of the uh, corruption allegations and who will be charged. So I'm going to keep playing music, and we'll be here until just a bit before two, uh, when uh, Val will come in with Global Val will come in with Women's Magazine, followed by Common Thread Collective. Uh, tonight there is uh, the Queer Open Mic happening at Modern Times Bookstore on Twenty First Street at seven thirty. And as mentioned before, there is the Action in solidarity with trans prisoners at El Rio tonight at 6 p.m. So, see everyone there, and we'll be back as soon as we hear some news about what's happening downtown.
2: were fairly investigated by the San Francisco District Attorney's Office and the City Attorney's Office and resulted in the following charges. Attorney Mr. Jackson, there are 12 counts in total, six felony counts, four counts of bribery, one count of money laundering, and one grand theft of public money. There's also six misdemeanor counts of campaign finance fraud. The exposure for Mr. Jackson is 11 years and 4 months in state prison. His bail is $208,000. Concerning Missoula Zula May Jones, there are 5 felony counts in total, 4 counts of bribery and 1 count of money laundering. Exposure for Miss Jones is 7 years and 8 months in state prison. Her bail is set at $175,000. Concerning Ms. Nasli Mohair, it has five felony counts in total, four counts of bribery, one count of money laundering. Her exposure is seven years and eight months in state prison. Her bail is also $175,000. Unfortunately, we cannot get into the details. Uh, there is a federal protective order concerning this investigation, and that is also part of the state case. Uh, therefore, we're limited in what we can say to you, other than the information that is being provided. I'd like to turn it over now to Mr. Herrera to say a few words and then uh, Special Agent uh, uh, Johnson will also speak and that if you have any questions that are not within the protective order, we'll try to answer as best we can. If not, we will be able to answer. Thanks. Uh,
3: Thank you, uh, District Attorney Gascon. Uh, I just want to say that to echo the sentiments and the statements of the District Attorney, that uh, both he and I take uh, public integrity and public trust extremely seriously. And the fact that we have conducted this uh, investigation jointly I think speaks volumes to how serious we view the public trust. District Attorney uh, and his people have an outstanding job and we look forward to working with them in the future as this uh, investigation continues and develops. And to Special Agent in Charge um, Johnson, I just wanna thank you uh, on behalf of the city attorney's office for federal leadership uh, and the development and investigation that you have done. And we look forward to uh, uh, working alongside you. And I know that you speak for the entirety of the federal government when uh, you talk about how important public integrity and trust is. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to taking your questions.
4: It does not matter if the corrupt is the public's trust and the law either federal or state. We will find you, and we will stop you. Okay. Can you tell us who you've interviewed or talked to as part of the investigation? No, we cannot. Now, can you tell us if it, anyone in the mayor's office was spoken to? We cannot,
2: we cannot go into the details again. Uh, and you know, normally, we're much more expansive about the information that we provide when we file cases here. This case was under a federal protection order. Uh, part of that case that was brought over to the state level also is under we, we cannot get into the details. but All I can tell you is that we have been investigating irregularities in local the question. The
3: you give us any sort of
2: timeline? As to when this investigation will end? Yeah. It's hard to tell. We're, you know, the, this particular case will proceed, additional, the investigation continues, and we, it will take us to wherever the facts. But I mean, any sort of timeline when you start? I know that you say you can't get into this. it It's detail. been, it's been some time. It's been more than months. Have arrested me? Arrest uh, arrests have not been made, the um, three individuals that are being charged will be given an opportunity to turn themselves in. We, we do not believe that they present the fight risk, so we will be given an opportunity to turn themselves in. Their attorneys have been contacted.
3: Can you say anything about the particulars particular case? I cannot.
2: The, the, if, you look at the, if you look at the press release, it's pretty clear as to what accounts entail. And that's the only thing we can discuss at this point.
5: How did it all start?
2: Uh, it started through a federal investigation in one part, and there were other complaints that we were getting. So it's a combination of things that we come forward. Wow. Thank you very much. We really appreciate all of you. Yes, sir? Is it related to the uh, shrimp uh We're not. We can now discuss okay. the, the connection. Everyone. Yeah, make sure you get the press release, because I'll give you the details. Okay. So thank you. Sir.
0: All right, so that was some of the live stream. So we have the, the names here. The folks will be charged. Um, and that is uh, Nasli Mahajer, Zula Jones, and Keith Jackson. And uh, they were charged with felony, bribery, and money laundering. And they kind of lead up to Ed Lee, although Ed Lee wasn't named. So um, there's a on Facebook, there's a Vote123 to Replace Ed Lee page. Uh, which uh, Amy Farah-Weiss, San Francisco Herrera, and Stuart Shuffman are all guests on the show. Um, people still contribute to this. So if you live in the Bay Area and you're still curious and want to find ways to make things a little bit better. There's a it's a discussion board here on, on Facebook, so uh, a friend of mine had posted this, that this was happening, and there are updates here uh, and led to the, the live stream. And so some folks were saying that this is disappointing, and other folks were saying that Lee must have paid off the right people because he is not mentioned in this. Uh, okay. in in this, and I wonder how much, you know, further it it will go, because he has been, he's kind of at the top of it, so we're wondering, folks are wondering uh, how much further this will go. So, people were upset that it wasn't, uh, Ron Conway uh, as well, so we'll see where this leads. I'm not sure if this will be the end of it, or if this will lead to more investigation, um, and I guess it's, it doesn't surprise me in a way that, uh, that, uh, it's, you know, there's certain people who kind of take, uh, take the fall and not that people aren't necessarily implicated in it, but it's, uh, the folks at the top are very seldom the ones who, uh, who are the ones who, who get arrested because they can, they have power and, and influence and money and they can kind of tell other people to take the fall for them. So I'll be curious to see where this goes and maybe by, by next week we'll have some more, uh, information. So, yep, that was a little bit anticlimactic, uh, but, uh, I guess, you know, folks in positions of, of power being held accountable for their, their bribery or their money, money laundering, it says something, uh, and they have the press release, uh, photographed here on the uh, vote for, uh, vote one, two, three to replace Ed Lee page as well. So with that note, uh, no, no big news. Well, I guess it's, it just depends on how you look at it. Certainly. <laughs> So we'll see what, what happens next. I'm gonna refresh once more, make sure there's no more uh, additional news in this case to be reported, and then I'll play some music and we'll be we'll be done until next week. And uh yep, that seems to be just about it. So thanks everybody for uh uh listening and uh there's also some ideas that, um, the folks who were, uh, arrested will be, are considered like the small fish. And then the big fish would be Ed Lee and, and Jerry Brown. And perhaps those folks speak up, the, the mayor and the governor will be named, which is pretty big news. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? We'll see. So until then, have a, have a good week and be nice to people and speak up for those who yeah, speak up for everybody. Do it. And I'll end on a class, class Nomi song. What should we listen to? What should we listen to? Um, how about the the, the Nomi chant? I think that's a good one. All right. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll be back next week.
4: What is Copwatch? Copwatch is a network of activist organizations in the United States and Canada that observe and document police activity while looking for signs of police misconduct and police brutality. Their database is a permanent searchable repository of complaints filed against police officers at copwatch.org. You can report an incident for permanent inclusion in their database at copwatch.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Uni Radio in San Francisco. Fire! The Foundation for Individual Rights in Education is dedicated to defending individual rights in higher education. Founded in 1999, this nonprofit group focuses on civil liberties in academia and the United States. Its goal is to defend and sustain individual rights at America's colleges and universities, including the right to freedom of speech, legal equality, due process, religious liberty, Actually, and sanctity yeah. of conscience, the essential qualities of individual liberty and dignity. You can find out more or support this group at thefire.org. This public service announcement has been brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio.
6: Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Lions and tigers and bears and elephants and monkeys and hundreds of other animals are just waiting to get you at the San Francisco Zoo. But don't worry, Dorothy, these animals are fun. So the next time the kids complain that they've got nothing to do, pack them up and follow the yellow brick road to the San Francisco Zoo. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my.
4: Do you or someone you know have epilepsy and need support? The Epilepsy Foundation of Northern California has been providing services to families affected by epilepsy since 1953. They are dedicated to serving the nearly 140,000 people with epilepsy in our region and seek to ensure that people with seizures are able to participate in all of life's experiences. To find out more, visit the Epilepsy Foundation of Northern California at EpilepsyNorCal.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio.
6: Save our democracy. We must reverse Citizens United, restore our democracy, and save the republic. Join the fight for free and fair elections in America. Wolf Pack is the pack to end all packs, and they're working for a constitutional amendment to get money and legalized bribery out of politics. But they need your help. Become a member, volunteer your time, and sign your petition at wolf-pack.com.
0: Grid Alternatives is a nonprofit organization and licensed solar installer working throughout California to empower communities in need by installing solar panels on low income housing. They use a volunteer installation model that includes community volunteers, job trainees, and the homeowners themselves in a barn raising effort to make solar accessible to the communities who need it most. For more information, visit gridalternatives.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio.
7: Oh man, do you miss a Mutiny Radio show from your favorite DJ? Did you find out about a guest interviewed on Mutiny Radio a day too late? Are you wishing that you had a time traveling DeLorean to listen to those shows again? Don't you fret, simply go to mutinyradio.org and listen to our podcasts. Yes, it's that easy. Click on the podcast button and find your favorite show. Heck, click a variety of podcasts for a sample of all of our great programming here at Mutiny Radio. And don't forget to listen to us live on iTunes Radio under the Eclectic Show. The Muscular Dystrophy Association is the world's leading nonprofit health agency dedicated to finding treatments and cures for muscular dystrophy, a lateral sclerosis, and other neuromuscular diseases. They do so by funding worldwide research, providing comprehensive health care services and support to MDA families nationwide, and by rallying communities to fight back through advocacy fundraising and local engagement. It's special work powered by special people who give generously. Visit mda.org for more information. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Sunday Streets are events that encourage recreation, community activities, and fun in San Francisco. Sunday Streets closes city streets to automobile traffic and opens them to people for several hours on various Sundays throughout the year. So participants can enjoy a large temporary public space where they can bike, walk, run, dance, do yoga, or any other physical activity. Nonprofit and health organizations offer free activities and share information about their services during the event. Visit SundayStreetsSF.org for more information. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco.
4: The National Lawyers Guild is dedicated to the need for basic change in the structure of our political and economic systems. They seek to unite lawyers, law students, legal workers, and jailhouse lawyers of America to function as an effective political and social... That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo!
1: $4.99. San Francisco! Mut-